Good morning, Restoration. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, today is the first Sunday of the season of ordinary time. And in years past, I've stood up in front of the church on this Sunday, and I've, and I've reminded us that we've just completed the first half of the church calendar in which we walk through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, starting in Advent and going all the way up until uh, Pentecost. And then I say, and here we are in ordinary time, as if to somehow imply that this is a season of predictability of normalcy, a season of comfort. And in no way do I want to imply that the culmination of the life of Christ is a life of comfort and predictability. Now, obviously, I do think that stability is good for the Christian. Refreshment and Sabbath is, is imperative for the Christian. But the goal of Christian living is not comfort and predictability. If that's what we equate with ordinary time, well, then we're doing it wrong. So then uh, that begs the question, what exactly is ordinary time? Well, ordinary or ordaining something or bringing order to something, all of those words are related, obviously, but to do so, to, to bring order to something is to put something in its proper place, to restore it back to where it belongs. You see, ordinary season, this ordinary time is a season of ordaining of commissioning. It's a season of vocation. It's a season of delegating a purpose to something. It's no wonder then this is, that this isn't just called ordinary time, but this is called the season after Pentecost. And that, my friends, brings us to today's passage. Today, the passage that we'll be looking at uh, starts towards the end of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, it starts at verse 35, and we'll go into um, a little bit into chapter 10. But in Matthew's gospel, this is a pivot point. In Matthew's gospel, uh, or up until this point, the disciples, they have been spectators in Jesus' ministry. They've been listening to his sermons and things that he's been saying. They've been watching what he's been doing. They've been asking him tough questions. And they've been taking note of the way in which Jesus interacts with different people in the society. But here, today, things change. They shift. Here, Jesus begins to invite his disciples into this work of bringing order to the world around them. But also in the church calendar, as I've been saying, we are now in a season of pivoting. Just like we've been walking with Jesus for these last six months, we are now, like those disciples, being sent out. Following the events of Pentecost, we have breathed in deeply the breath, the spirit of Jesus Christ himself into our lungs, and we are being invited to go out on a journey. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this passage for three gifts that Jesus gives us as we embark on this journey. These were gifts that were given to the original uh, apostles in this story, and I believe that Jesus is giving them to us again here today. So let's look at each of these three things. So the first gift that we receive from Jesus is his work. So verse 35 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, doing three things, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. This is the work of Christ. So first he's teaching. That I think is easy to explain, right? Like he's teaching. He's opening up the scriptures to people as they come and hear from him. He's retelling the stories of God, and he's applying these stories to the lives of the people. And for us today, we need to pause here and take note of that and see that whatever else we say today needs to be held in light of the fact that the first thing that Jesus does is he teaches. 
And so for us, what does that mean? Well, it means that any Christian service, any Christian activity that we do needs to be connected and rooted in the scriptures. Otherwise, any work that we do that is apart from the Bible, that doesn't begin in the Bible, it's simply misguided. It's rudderless. And it's confusing both to ourselves and to to the world around us. Our ministry must be rooted in the teaching of Holy Scriptures. But also, the work of Jesus includes proclamation. He's proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom. Now, another way that that word proclaim could be translated is as as publish or, or heralding in good news or issuing a declaration here. Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is declaring a new order. There are new realities that are being changed in light of the words that he is saying. So, for example, he's saying to people, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the peacemakers. The favor of God is upon you. He sees you. He doesn't ignore you. He sees you and he declares you blessed. Now, for the poor and for the brokenhearted, this is tremendously beautiful, great, good news. Well, the third aspect of Jesus' work is that he's healing. He's healing every disease and affliction that comes his way. You see, friends, Jesus' ministry isn't just merely a re-education plan. He's not just handing out flyers here and there. No, there is real action behind his words. When Jesus is present, healing comes into place. People's bodies, their mental states get put back into right order. He's restoring health to them. And what this is doing is it's validating the words and the teaching that he is saying. Because wherever people see Jesus walking, the shackles of sin and evil are falling by the wayside. The work of Jesus, or, and this, so this is the work of Jesus. And friends, he gives it to us. He gives it to the church. This is a gift for us. He invites us into his work. We see that in this passage, Jesus sends out his apostles to do the same exact things that he's doing. Now, I also want to pause here and give a a quick little aside because uh, sometimes people ask, you know, why in this passage is Jesus just sending people to Israel? You know, Jesus is very intentionally focusing the ministry of the disciples in this moment uh, to the people of Israel. So why is that? So just two seconds on this. Well, the purposes of God is is he wants to give Israel uh, a chance to hear the gospel first and to respond to it first. These are the people who he has been shaping for generations and generations. And so when Jesus comes to fulfill the teaching of the Old Testament, he wants to give them the first chance to respond to the good news. So also don't forget, in Matthew's gospel at the end, in Matthew 28, we see that Jesus, uh, before he ascends up into heaven, he tells the disciples to do this same work, but now out into all the world to spread the good news of his kingdom out among all the Gentiles. So it, it starts in Israel, but then it goes out from there. So anyway, back to what I'm talking about. Uh, this gift of, of Jesus' work is given to the church. My point is this, is that we see the disciples doing the same exact things that Jesus is doing. The same verbs are used uh, in, these, in these other paragraphs. We see that the, the disciples are healing. We see that they're also casting out evil spirits. We see that the disciples are also proclaiming and teaching others about the good news of the, of the kingdom. The church continues the ministry of Jesus. That is the first gift that we receive. We receive the work of Jesus. 
So the other day, uh, I went over to the Pimentals house uh, to John and Sarah's, uh, and it's it's really impressive because they have done a ton of work uh, in and around their house. Uh, if you follow them on Instagram, you've no doubt seen some of the, the projects that they've been embarking on. Um, new egress windows that, that they've uh, dug out all the land for, the landscaping around it has been awesome. Um, just really cool things like that. Um, but one thing, too, that kind of sticks out is if you were to walk in front of their house, you would see taped to the front of their door is this piece of paper. And if you were to go and look at that, uh, you would see that this is a piece of paper that's been given to them by the city that authorizes them to do this work. So for anyone who comes and asks questions as to whether or not they should be doing or whether or not they have the, the ability to do this, they look at that document and they say, ah, yes. The work that is being done here has been authorized. A higher power has said that, yes, this in fact can happen. Well, friends, Jesus doesn't just give his people a quick YouTube video or something showing them how to do work. And he doesn't just say, okay, you've seen the video, you know, good luck out there. No, Jesus gives them spiritual and sacramental authority to actually go and do the job. In, in uh, chapter 10, verse 1, we read that Jesus calls the 12 and he gives them authority. He gives them power. And that is the second gift, that Jesus gives us power to do his work. So uh, the reformer Calvin, he points out that the number 12, indicate, or the number 12, that is, of the apostles, it indicates the coming restoration of the church. This is the birth of a new people. This is the commissioning of a new Israel. When we see that those apostles are, are there, we're to see that this represents the entire church. Jesus is here giving his authority to the church to go and do church things. So yeah, the church has the power to heal. The church has the power to teach. The church has the ability to do all of these things. Now, does that mean that every member in the church has every gift? No, it doesn't. The Bible is very clear about that. But we are, as the body of Christ, to pray for more gifts of the Spirit so that we can be manifesting all of those gifts to a lost and broken world around us. Friends, when, the church, when people look at the church, they need to know that we have been authorized to conquer the devil and to cure the world. Jesus has given us the power to do these things. That's the second gift, his power. Well, I think the third gift that we see in this passage is arguably the most important. In fact, if we rewind and jump back to chapter 9 and look at verse 36, it says this, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, sometimes when we look at Jesus' ministry, we can, we can sort of overemphasize uh, the obedience of Christ you know, we remind ourselves, or, or maybe we, we tell ourselves, like, oh, he's just doing these things because he's just submissive and obedient to the Father. But if you, if you overemphasize Jesus' obedience, you miss out on a really critical truth, a really core identity of who Jesus is. You see, friends, Jesus, God clothed in flesh, is motivated by a deep and abundant love. He is the compassionate one. He looks upon these crowds and his heart breaks. His heart goes out to them. He loves them. The text tells us that the crowds here are a harassed group of people. Well, harassed by who? Well, they're harassed by many forces. They're harassed by the Romans, right? 
They're, they're harassed by their own corrupt religious leaders who've sort of sold them out. They're harassed by the realities of poverty and these broken systems that keep pushing them down. They're even harassed just by the, the climate of the desert that they're in. These are a harassed and broken down people. The text also tells us that they're helpless. Helpless, what, what does that even mean? Well, it means that they're, they're quite literally unable to help themselves. They keep trying, but things don't keep getting better. They're stuck there. They're not able to move up or out, out of their trouble. And a lot of us, friends, know exactly what that's like. We know what it's like to be stuck, that no matter how much effort you put into something, it's not enough to actually cause the suffering to stop. Well, if anything, this passage shows us that Jesus is aware. Jesus' eyes are upon you. He sees your suffering. He sees the helplessness, the stuckness, the harassment that's happening. And his heart goes out. And a lot of us, we need to hear that. Because friends, you and I, we are all in that crowd. All of us, all of us know what it's like to be helpless and stuck by this. I mean, again, look at our world. We are plagued by disease. And there is no sign of solutions coming to us. But friends, Jesus sees us. And his heart goes out to us. So whatever else we, we draw from this passage, whatever else we see from this passage, all of it needs to be rooted in the heart of Jesus Christ, that he has compassion on the helpless. So uh, a few days ago, Molly and I uh, were invited over to some friend's house. And uh, we, we sat down, our friends poured a glass of wine, and, and we just started chatting about the state of our country and and all the things that are just going on in the world right now. And it was super interesting and heartbreaking and frustrating, um, uh, just this conversation. And at one point, my friend leaned over, knowing that I'm a pastor, and, and he said, where do you think God is in all of this? Where's God in all of this? You know, and then he said, you know, if, if there was a God, wouldn't he just come down and, and take all of this away from our land? You know, I think that's an incredibly valid question. You know, I have to confess that I ask that question myself sometimes. You know, it's really easy to just turn on the news, to look around the world, and to have all hope just evaporated from you. Because it's hard to find hope in this world. Well, friends, uh, for these next couple of weeks here at Restoration, uh, we're going to do something a little different with our preaching. So I've actually asked three leaders of three different ministries that Restoration supports to come and supply our sermons for us for the next three weeks. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you a little bit about that. So first I asked Brian Bademan next week to preach, uh, and he is the director of Anselm House. Uh, this is a ministry that's on the campus of the U that seeks to help students integrate their disciplines with their faith. And so Bademan, uh, Mr. Bademan's going to come, or Dr. Bademan's going to come and um, yeah, say a word to us about his ministry. Also, I've asked uh, Darren Prince. Uh, he is the director of Interchange, which is a Christian order among the poor uh, that, that our church supports, and, and many of you are, are very aware of Interchange. And so he's going to speak. And then Maridel Sandberg, uh, the president of Together for Good, is going to preach uh, the Sunday after that. Together for Good is an organization that seeks to offer um, relief to families whose kids are at risk of going into the foster care system. So these are beautiful, amazing, um, powerful ministries. Um, and I, one, I want you all to know a little bit more about these ministries that we support. 
And when I say support, I don't mean that, that our church simply sends a check off to these groups. No, many of you are deeply involved in each of these ministries. Some of you are teachers at Anselm House. Some of you are missionaries with Interchange. Some of you are host families with Together for Good. And I want you, I want you all to hear from these leaders because I want you to be encouraged and I want you to find hope in the fact that our church and many of you are deeply invested in, in, in teaching, in healing, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in our world. And I want us to be reminded of that. I want us to be good at telling the stories of Jesus' restorative activity here in our cities that many of you are involved in. I want you to be encouraged by that. And for some of you, maybe you're not involved in these ministries, and this could be a, a call for you to actually come and join and get involved in these things. But if nothing less, I want your hope to be restored, friends. Because these kind of ministries, these aren't the things that are going to be on the news anytime soon. You're not going to hear about these in many places. I want you, if you're questioning yourself about where is God in all of this, I want you to hear these messages, hear the stories of these leaders, and I want you to say, there he is. The Lord is still at work in this world. In fact, that is what the season of ordinary time is all about. That is what you and I, brothers and sisters, are supposed to be about during this season, is rolling up our sleeves, looking at places in which the chaos just seems too dark, too thick, and to ask the Lord Jesus, how can you use me to bring order to these places? Because, friends, it's happening. It's happening. We just need to join in and participate in it. Because, friends, this is a message of ordinary time. That this is a time in which God is ordaining us and giving us gifts for the work of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the heart of Jesus Christ for a lost and broken world. Let us pray. Lord Christ, you are a good, good God. You go before us, Lord, and you are ministering in our world. You are, are ordaining and bringing order to the world around us. So I pray, Lord Jesus, for the, the next several months of this ordinary time, may you continue to pour your Holy Spirit into us, that we might join in the work and the ministry of you. We ask all of these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.